Thank you. Um, this would have been on Valentine's Day, and boy, things got changed last week because we got snowed on, and we got snowed on in a big way, and, uh, and, and then we were all uh, stuck inside for a long time, and I, I really hope it didn't ruin your Valentine's Day plans. Um, if it did, then you really need to rethink your relationships um, I, I'm, I'm not a big believer in Valentine's Day, and don't worry, my wife's not offended. She, she, uh, she, she agrees with me that we don't need a third century martyr to teach us to love each other. Uh, it doesn't make much sense, really. And, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be down on Valentine's Day too much if you enjoy it and uh, it makes you happy. That's, that's fine. Uh, I like Halloween, of course it's my birthday, but they're both candy holidays. I will say, I think Valentine's Day is in the wrong month, all right? It needs to be in sunnier weather, does it not? And so I'm going to make a simple proposal here. I'm going to suggest that we move Mother's Day or Father's Day or both of them, okay? They're in May and they're in June. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, why would you have Father's Day in a month that has no football? That makes no sense to me. So let's move Father's Day to September, all right? And then we've got some football. There's nothing else happening in September anyway. And then let's take Mother's Day, and we'll move it right there between Thanksgiving and Christmas because your mother wants you to come see her anyway about that time, and she'll get one extra day to see you, so that makes everybody happy. And then we move Valentine's Day to the summer months, and keep it on a Saturday or a Friday night, and we're all just happy. I, I wish the UN would start asking me about these things because I can solve all their problems. It just reminds us that uh, love is a big deal, so much so that we've got to have celebrations of love. Just a second. I need my remote. Is it over there? Yeah. I love you. Anyway, the, uh, that's teamwork. Uh, I want to start this because after singing a song like that, um, all the language of love that's in that song that we just did before this, do we really grasp what a big deal love is? Uh, is love a, an emotion? Is it a feeling? Is it more than a feeling? Uh, is it a decision? Is it an action? Well, it's all of those things, and yet it's more. It, love is a dangerous word, and we need to recognize that. I think we've overlooked it because we don't pay attention to the way we use it. Have you ever noticed that we don't step into love, we don't ease into love, we fall in love? Uh, I mean, what a strange verb to describe this. There's, there's no gentle way to be in love. We, uh, we don't pivot into love. Uh, we don't land there. We fall. We can be love-struck. We can be love-sick. We can be love-lorn. I don't even know what it means to be lorn without love. I can be struck and I can be sick, but how, do you, how are you supposed to be lorn? This word is dangerous, and I don't think we, we recognize that enough. There's so much history and culture invested in this one word, love. The Beatles sing, all you need is love. They went to the record company to get their paycheck, and they said, hmm, all you need is love. 
terrible. Anyway, here's a word cloud. I didn't write this word cloud, but I found this word cloud. And you think about all these words that have something to do with love. And that you can fuss with it too. Angels are on there. What are angels doing on there? Maybe they're talking about the cherubs, the cupids. Right underneath the L is lust. I don't think lust belongs there. Lust isn't love at all. It really isn't. Lust is selfish. Love's not supposed to be selfish. Not compl- I mean, there's a, there's a self-love, so we can fuss with this. But isn't it interesting that that word even gets into the word cloud? So we can use this word in some big, big ways, but we use it in some pretty glib ways, too. We just casually drop the word love around. It's in our poetry. It's in a music. You'd think that people would have enough of silly love songs. But I look around me and it isn't so. Oh, no. What's wrong with that, I'd like to know. Well, what's wrong with that is, is if we start using this word in ways that, that, that just, it doesn't make sense when we're talking about our love for God, our love for one another, our love for our spouse. We're falling in love, but then we can say things like, I love that movie. Or I love pizza. And it's because of this that the philosopher P.W. Herman said, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it? Think on these words. Some of you are going to be looking at P.W. Herman. You're not going to get very far. And yet, remember, at the same time, this is the same word, love, that is read at weddings straight from 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul the Apostle describes the grand vision of love and says that it is the most excellent way. And among faith, hope, and love, the greatest of those three is love. That's pretty good company, faith and hope. And that love is the greatest of those three, that's, that's pretty tall order. So what's going on with this word love? Well, let's... let's Let's focus in on the grand side of it, and then let's start to focus in on the spiritual side of it. This is just the introduction to get us into what is a really big deal topic for the next few weeks. Three of what I would call the core texts, the most important texts in Christian thinking have to do with love. Even if you've never read the Bible, you're probably familiar with John 3.16. I hope all of y'all have at least read part of the Bible, but I would say to anybody out there who's watching, maybe watching us for the first time, or any of your friends who aren't familiar with the Bible at all, you've heard of John 3.16. You've seen fellas in rainbow wigs holding that sign up that says John 3.16 at sporting events so that everybody on TV will go and look up John 3.16. And it's a good verse to choose because it says God... Loved the world so much that he sent his son to save the world. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, just like the song we just sang, he says the greatest of these is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's actually three loves mentioned there, our love for God, our love for others, and even our love for ourselves. A proper love that then expresses itself by showing that kindness and that affection and that compassion to others. 
And, and the verses there come from both the Hebrew Bible, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, but then they're repeated in the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels in more than one occasion. Now, I'm going to do this because some of you enjoy this uh, uh, nerdy language stuff, and, and I've even put the, uh, the Hebrew letters up there. I'm doing this because I love you. Uh, and, and I want to I give you what you want here. But there's, what words are being used? If we're talking about the language of love, then we know that Scripture wasn't written in English. It was translated into English. So are we translating it correctly? Does our word love equate with the words in Scripture? Well, in the Hebrew Bible, which often gets overlooked when it comes to love, love is there, and love is there in an important way. And there's more than one word for love. There's different words that are used. They all get translated as love. Here's an interesting point where these three words combine. There's more than three words, by the way. But these three are the ones that are most often used. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. These are the words of Moses to the people. And he says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I've color-coded these translations so that you can see these words, chashak, ahav, and kesed. And, and those three words have something to do with love. Now we've seen kesed before when we were talking about God's steadfast love that in Lamentations 3.23, even in the midst of destruction, the, the lamenter, the prophet can say, but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It won't run out. It won't fade. It won't go away, even though there's destruction all around me. God's keeping that steadfast love. And in fact, steadfast love is our translation of this single word, but it's a forgiving type of love. It's a merciful type of love. It's an enduring love. Kashak has to do with binding or setting love. It's a, it's a bond. It's an attachment. So that when uh, Moses here says that the Lord set his love on you, he chose you. He connected himself with you. And ahav is that love word for affection. It's the word for, um, it has to do with the feelings, but also the decision to love. And isn't it interesting that right here in this text, all of those words are used and they can all come back to this idea of love. I think this demonstrates to us what love involves. New Testament's written in Greek. And when we go to Greek, there's really two words. C.S. Lewis told us that there's, there's four words for love. Uh, he wrote a great book on that called The Four Loves. I recommend that if you want to go further in this study, if you want to go further in studying this topic, uh, there's something like eight words for love in Greek, but there's really just two in the New Testament that, that really matter. And we've heard of these, they seem familiar to us, especially phileo, which 
we, we understand because it's wrapped up in the name of cities like Philadelphia, brotherly love, okay? And it is a brotherly love. It's a, it's a kindness. But you can't limit it just to that because that brotherly love can be sort of vague and disconnected or it can also be very specific and directed to an individual, somebody that you feel a very close kinship with. You might say your, your best friend, your BFF. You know, do we even use that anymore? That's, that's, that's like 20 years ago, isn't it? Okay, so anyway, we, uh, it's 20 days ago, which is old. And this word has to do a lot with friendship, but it can be just as intense as agape, which we hear agape a lot. Agape gets... Agape gets to live out its full life in the church. In fact, when we need a word for love that's supposed to be the king daddy of all love, we use agape. So we even talk about agape love, which really what we're saying is love, love. But what is it about agape love that makes it so special? We use it in the church, we use it in church circles, but I don't know that it's used outside of the church. And, and to me, that's a bit of a problem when we're trying to communicate how much God loves the world and how much God loves us and how much God loves you to use a word that folks aren't familiar with. There's an interesting passage in John 21, and we'll, we'll, we'll see agape again in future studies, but this is the moment where the resurrected Jesus is meeting with Peter, who denied him three times. And there's a, there's a process of restoration going on here. This is, this is an amends-making moment. This is Jesus erasing whatever guilt Peter may have carried around with him. So Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And that's agape. He's using the verb form of agape. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. There he's using phileo. He said to him, well, then feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Jesus uses phileo. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now why the change of words here? Well, I've heard that, that Peter is kind of going for a secondary level love instead of agape love here, and that's just the best that Peter can do. It's like, you know, here, here's Jesus you know, asking for a, 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 a high-level, high-class uh, form of love, and all Peter can come up with is kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a, a Dollar General Kmart love. You know, all he can come up with is this cheap offering of love that he has. But Jesus transitions to that. Why? What if it's the focus of the love, that agape is rather wide and broad, but phileo has to do with the two of them? He's saying, look, this is about us too, Jesus. This is about me and you, not just the general concept of love. I don't think we have to set one of these above the other. They are both love 
in some sense, and that matters. And I don't think we have to exchange one for the other. I think that Jesus is discussing love in all of its applications between the two of them as individuals and the love that Peter would have for him and would have for God. And so Peter is loving Jesus both as his Lord, but also as his friend. And that fits very well with John 15, where Jesus uses the word agape, but it's being used in a way that's very friend-oriented, but it's more. John 15 shows us what love looks like in practice. And I haven't color-coded it because it's all agape, but also because I want you to notice at the way love is being described and used. Jesus is saying, To his disciples, this is my commandment. My commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. The descriptor with as makes all the difference. I mean, if they're sitting there listening to this and Jesus says, my command is that you love one another. If one of them raises his hand and says, are we talking about um, agape love or is this... Phileo, and it hadn't come up yet, but what about storge? We know it's not eros. So, you know, what, which one is it? He says, well, I'll tell you what it is. You love one another just as I have loved you. How about we use that as the definition? Okay. Greater love, then, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now Jesus is showing us a definition of love that has to do with what He has done. You are my friends if you do what I command. Not because you've been ordered to. Not because you've been instructed to. Not just because it's your duty, but because you are my friends. No longer do I call you servants. Servants just do their duty. For the servant does not know what the master is doing. Servant just follows orders. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Friends share. And we probably need to redeem the word friend as well. Social media has done a real disservice to the word friend. You don't, friend is not a verb. You can make friends. You can't unfriend a friend. Not if they're really a friend. Uh We need to think about that and be careful that we don't lose that meaning. But that's a subject for another time. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should also or should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And Jesus here is directing his disciples. He's directing us to a love that looks like the kind of love that he has for us. Now, just imagine for a moment that those disciples take what he says there very seriously. Not just in their generation, but in the next generation as well. And that the readers of John's gospel take that very seriously. And they've heard John in his letters say to them, you should love one another. Little children, love one another. And they start to put this kind of love in practice. And they're not so much worried about 
the, the lexical, the, the, the dictionary definition of it, but they understand it because they, they know and they've heard and they've seen what a man named Jesus Christ did who was the Son of God and how He loved them. And so they start practicing it among them. And when they get together for their meetings, they celebrate the Lord's Supper. But in addition to celebrating the Lord's Supper, they also share with one another. They share food with one another. What are they going to call that activity where they get together and they share food with one another? They call it love. Just love. Now in Jude 12, Jude is warning them that their fellowship is losing its impact because they're ignoring some, some people, and, and there are some people making a mockery of their love because of their deception and because of their, um, their wickedness and the way that they're manipulating people there. That's the focus of Jude. But we translate it, and Jude says they are hidden reefs. In other words, they're going to shipwreck you at your love feasts. As they feast with you, they have no fear. They're shepherds feeding themselves. They're self-centered. They're waterless clouds, they're empty, they're useless, they're swept along by winds, they have no rooting, no foundation, they're fruitless trees in autumn, they, they talk a lot, they don't do anything about it, they're twice dead and uprooted. You get Jude's point, he's just kind of making a point about the, the hypocrisy of these leaders, and he says they're making a mockery of the love feast. Now, we have to translate that love feast, but the word in the text is simply they're hidden reefs at your loves, at your love. The demonstration of their love, they're putting it into practice. That when they come together and they sit down as, as a family of believers, a strange collection of people who've all been saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ, they know that what brings them there is not membership in a club, but what brings them there is the love that Jesus shown, and so they are loving one another as He loved them. That's interesting. Because the definition of love, then, is not going to be limited to a lexicon, or a word in Hebrew, Greek, English, or otherwise, the definition of love is Jesus showing us love. It's Jesus laying down His life for those of us who didn't even ask Him to do this and, and are sinful at the time that He does this. And humanity itself is, is complicit in the execution of Jesus who didn't deserve it. And then it's us choosing to love according to the definition of love that He lived out. So we're not looking to a book to define love, but we're looking to a person. We're looking to a Lord. And so the standard of love is set by Jesus. Paul gets this, and in Ephesians 5 when he describes what the Christian household should look like, the love that a husband has for his wife, the love that uh, parents should have for their children, the love that everyone in the household should have for one another. Jesus Christ becomes the standard of that. Whatever else we do with the word love, especially in this study, but more so when we put it to practice, we're going to begin 
with the language of love being defined by Jesus Christ Himself. Today as we go to the Lord's Supper table, today as we worship, please know that we're here today because God loved us. And He wants us to love one another and participate in that love with one another in the same way that He has loved us. He's given us a new command. He's given us a new instruction. He's set a new standard for us. Love one another as I have loved you. Would you pray with me? Father, let us dwell and abide in Your love this morning. We know that we need to do it always. But right now, we're just focusing on this moment. Because if we can do this for this moment, maybe it will empower us, and it will motivate us, and it will direct us to grow in your love, and then to demonstrate that in our love for one another. Father, some of us today, we need to learn to love ourselves more. We find it difficult to love you, and we find it difficult to love one another because we hate ourselves. And Lord, teach us instead to love ourselves just as you have loved us. To not love ourselves for selfish reasons, but to love ourselves because we are created in your image. We are made in your image. And you have laid down your life for us because you are our friend. Let us live as friends to you and friends to one another. It's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray. Amen.